welcome to a very festive episode of Paranormal the New Normal. And yes, I am getting into the holiday spirit with this episode. It's your host, Jeremy, as always. But I mean, some say I look like a few of the beasts we'll be talking about today. But as you know, this is the show where I try to keep make the paranormal a little more normal. But you know what? Today is a normal day because these creatures have been talked about since the hundreds of years ago. So I'm going to go with it and say this is normal, at least for some Europeans. But and just for people who like to beat college kids, I don't know. But we'll we'll roll with that. <laughs> but my guest today is Rissa Miller, who is an expert in everything Christmas and kind of creepy Christmas. And so I am very blessed to have her. And when I found when I saw her uh, profile, I'm like, I need to have her on my show. I do, I do, I do. Ooh. Welcome, Rissa. How are you doing tonight? Thank you so much, Jeremy. I am doing great tonight, and I can't wait to talk about some holiday cryptids. Oh, I, mm, the word holiday cryptids makes me so happy. It really does. <laughs> any, I mean, well, okay, any 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 combination of words that says cryptids, I love. <laughs> but so, first things first. Mm-hmm. This is the question I ask everybody at the beginning of the show: Is what got you? into the paranormal to begin with? Oh my gosh. Um, I think it's just always been part of who I am. I remember being a, a little girl and being able to see spirit entities and being aware that there was something else going on in the world beyond what we could normally see and experience. It's sort of just always been part of me. It wasn't something I began, it was just part of life. And um, I have had many experiences with ghosts um, throughout my life. And it just seems like a normal part, as you say, the new normal, but always normal to me. Yes, which, I mean, that's kind of how I started too. I picked up a book in elementary school, as all my listeners know, and it had Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster in it and all that. (laughs) And the idea of living dinosaurs, which fascinated me. So I, from there on, I was a cryptid head and I went in and out of it as I grew older, but eventually the adult side of me just said, we are paranormal for life. And <laughs> hence, hence I started this show a good eight months ago and it's thriving since then. And I love having these guests on to talk about these type of things. So my second question, and it's mm-hmm. always okay if the answer to this question is no, because it happens. It was my answer to this question was no for a long time. Have you had any experiences with any type of cryptid, alien, ghost, spirit? Take your pick. Well, ghosts, yes. Um, many, many, many experiences with ghosts. Um, cryptids, not yet. Aliens, not yet. I would certainly be open to it. It just hasn't happened. But um, I have had experiences with ghosts on and off throughout my life. So, yes, on that one. Ooh, any very interesting ones you care to share? Well, you know, I am a ghost tour guide. <laughs> so I have, True, a unique, you are. I have a unique advantage um, in this situation. Um, I'm trying to think of the most interesting ghost story. Well, hmm. first things first, where do you do your tours? Because I don't think I ever asked you that. 
Oh, um, I work for Maryland History Tours, and we work out of Ellicott City, Maryland. But I do presentations other places as well, uh, like what we're talking about tonight, the Christmas cryptids, the unmerry monsters. I have done that all over the place uh, because it's it's a topic people are really curious about, but there isn't that much to be found. So um, it's been something I've been digging on for years, and I do the presentation anywhere people want to hear it. But uh, my ghost tours are in Maryland in Ellicott City. It is a town that is 250 years old and it's just full of ghost lore and all kinds of unique stories and entities. Well, and as much I would love to, oh, I mean, I'll put that on my travel list because my travel list is huge. <laughs> I, I haven't been to so many states in the country, it's ridiculous, but. I blame my parents. They always had to take me on cruises to international places instead of freaking local places, but whatever. <laughs> but let's start off with where it all began, though. What, okay. what started Christmas? What started the winter solstice? solstice? Yeah. Well, the winter solstice started Christmas. Let's, let's, let's do it that way. So... Winter solstice is a, a phenomenon of the earth, of the functions of this planet. It is the shortest day and longest night of the year, meteorologically speaking, meteorologically. Yeah, so it, um, it happens every year. It's always be between December 20th and 23rd, and it is a long, cold night in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, historically, people were terrified of this time of year. It sort of represented um, ice and famine and um, the possibility of not having enough food or water. So it was a really frightening time to live through, much more so than the fall when we now have our Halloween. Um, it was the time of ghosts and monsters. The winter solstice was a scary time. But you know, there were also fantastic celebrations that happened then too, like Yule and Saturnalia. Yes, which I am a, I mean, the Yule, Yule is always fascinating me and Saturnalia to some degree as well. I mean, I've researched all these before, but, and why don't we talk about the Yule boar? Cause I love the Yule boar. Like, and I, <laughs> I mean, it's those Norse traditions I love, like. So, yeah, it's actually, it's relevant today to still think about the Yule Boar because that's where one of our longstanding traditions came from, actually more than one. So first thing first, the Yule Boar was a, a pig that was raised specifically to be slaughtered and eaten for Yule. And before that happened, the pig would be paraded through the streets and people would just vie to touch it, to, to get close to it, because it was considered good luck for the coming year. And if you touched it, the tradition was that you would make a promise for how you were going to be better in the new year, for what you were going to improve about yourself or your life. And there begins our tradition of the New Year's resolution. Now, is that a, a good or a healthy tradition? I'm not, I'm not sure, um, but that is where it came from. And the well, other, go ahead. Considering no one actually falls New, Year, New Year's resolutions <laughs> any year. So, I mean, right. it doesn't really make a difference. Regardless, it's just <laughs> something we, I've said so many years, I'm going to be a better person next year. I'm going to lose weight next year. Never happens, but you know, <laughs> those, after, yeah. those after Christmas uh, candy sales are too hard to pass up. 
Well, you know, I think everybody starts out with the best intentions when they make a New Year's resolution. And I'm sure that was true historically as well. So the other um, piece of that is, of course, they would slaughter the pig and cook it. And as many people as possible would try to get a piece of that because it was considered, again, another function of good luck when you had to get through a really long, cold, hard winter before things got, you know, back into... Uh, a growing season when there was plentiful food again. And that also began our tradition that is followed to this day of the ham at Christmas time. So those, the Yule boar started both of those things and it dates back actually thousands of years, not just hundreds, thousands of years into history. So um, yeah, the Yule boar, an old, old, old tradition in the holiday. See, my family has broke that tradition because we prefer prime rib on Christmas rather than ham. But, <laughs> but I mean, come on, it's prime rib versus ham. Who, who the hell is going to pick ham? <laughs> but, oh, I don't know. If you were worried about uh, pleasing the goddess Freya, you might go with the ham. Well, I mean, Odin can please her, so why should I be with her? <laughs> That's the way I see it. But, <laughs> but before we move on to the furry creatures of this hmm. special day let's talk about the big old fat man himself sure who really was good old saint nick so santa claus and saint nicholas um they've been sort of blended together in our modern culture but they're actually two totally different stories let's start with saint nicholas um let's see we're gonna go all the way back i want to give you the right year i have my notes here um, he was actually Turkish, so he would have been what we would consider now a person of color. And he was born in 270 AD. His family was really, really wealthy, and his uh, parents did die young, leaving him a rich man at an early age. St. Nicholas was a good guy. There's no two ways about it. He used his wealth to help orphans and feed people and... <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> he used his um, wealth to feed people to do good deeds. And um, he did become a bishop in real life. But there's a lot of lore and legends around St. Nicholas that are really juicy. And uh, they say that's where the Christmas stocking perhaps started. So historically, if a woman didn't have a dowry, which is um, money, her, money or goods I, that her father would pay to a potential new husband, she couldn't marry. And uh, there were these three young women who didn't have a dowry and their father was concerned they might have to go into being prostitutes because that's kind of what happened if you didn't have a dowry back in that time. St. Nicholas heard their story. I don't know how that that's a little sketchy in the folklore. Um, some people say he was listening at their window, which is kind of creepy, but um who knows? Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure about that. But um, they say that he, he took pity on the women and he took a whole bunch of his gold. And that night while they slept, he threw it in the window, but it landed in their socks, which were hanging up to dry. And thus begins the legend of Christmas stockings. He also begins uh, the legend of the Christmas monsters. So I was um, going to say, I thought yeah. the whole Christmas stocking thing was going to go a completely different way on that one. But nope, that's it. That's I, I that's was like I, I was like, are you tell me Santa's hung like a horse? What? Nope, <laughs> nope, that's how that's going. 
But so, I mean, and dowries. Ugh, I hate the idea of dowries because yeah, your your daughter is worth six goats. Give me six <laughs> goats to take her off your hands. But I mean, I hate that. I hate that. Like women are not worth livestock. I'm sorry, they're not. <laughs> they're worth, they're worth more yeah. than they they be worth like five farms worth of livestock, not just <laughs> livestock, but. <laughs> So I want to tell you next um, the story of how maybe the Christmas monsters started. And um, allegedly St. Nicholas was cruising along one day doing his good deeds like always. And he happens upon a butcher. And the butcher says, I have the best pickled meat. You must come in. So he goes inside only to find that uh, the pickled meat is three little boys. And the little boys are in a brine, in a barrel, and St. Nicholas immediately knows what he's looking at. And using his magical St. Nicholas powers, he resurrects the three boys, creating the first Christmas zombies, and sends the boys on their way. But he turns to the butcher and he says, you are going to have to pay penance for what you've done. And this begins the stories that uh, we will get into in a second about the monsters. Ooh. Which yes, I am dying here about the Christmas monsters because I love. I mean, and most people only know of Krampus and possibly Belschnickel if they watch right. The Office. But right, right, because we all love to see Dwight dressed as Belschnickel whipping <laughs> people. But 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 I guess we should start with the big man himself, good old Krampus. One of my favorite movies. <laughs> Well, there are actually more than 10 movies now with Krampus, and uh, you'll have to catch up and watch the other nine. But uh, uh, <laughs> I've been told the one I've watched with Adam Scott is the best one, but yes. That's probably a fact. Some of them are quite... Uh, hmm. Horrible, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the right <laughs> word. I was trying to be diplomatic, but yes, you're correct. <laughs> so, um, but before we wrap up on St. Nicholas, I'd like to share one little odd tidbit. So after he, after he passed, he was put into um, a tomb, as they did with all saints. And <laughs> allegedly, his tomb would ooze out this goo, like some kind of sticky goo. And people would line up for miles to partake of it. And they would rub it on themselves or their children. And allegedly, it would cure anything that would be wrong with you. Any illness, any sadness. If you got some of the goo coming out of St. Nicholas's tomb, you would be miraculously healed. Now, some Italian sailors got wind of this. And they were like, you know what? We're going to take the whole shebang. They stole St. Nicholas's remains and sold them off to the highest bidders around the world. Um, St. Nicholas is now scattered across the globe. Um, he is in Italy. He is in Germany. He is in France. He is in the United States. He is, parts of him are everywhere to this day. One, I love how morbid history is. And two, <laughs> I... I don't know. I don't know whether to call the Power Rangers or the freaking Ghostbusters to deal with that goop. But <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating, really, that um, that people would light up to put goo that came out of a tomb on the ground on their body, and then somebody would steal his body and dismember it for money. <laughs> oh, only on Earth, people. Only on Earth. <laughs> 
And, and this is why uh, the extraterrestrials watch it's like a reality show. I'm just saying. But. I'm sure there's there's some truth in that. It, we we make very questionable decisions as a species. <laughs> yes, we do. But please continue on to the furrier ones. I would love to tell you about Krampus. So Ooh. as time went by, St. Nicholas became associated with his feast day, which is December 6th. And over time, it became that he would give out presents. So this was kind of a, a fuzzy crossover between Christianity and Yule. And a lot of the customs of Yule, and there were there was gift giving associated with Yule as well as feasting. Both Yule and Saturnalia were, how do I say this in the right way? Wild feast days. Um, and- or, Orgies and eating, yes. That's it. That's exactly what it was. And the Christian church wanted to scrub it a little bit. Uh, so they tried to incorporate the, the, the nicest parts of it into their own holidays. So St. Nicholas Day, December 6th, um, he would come and have some kinds of uh, gifts, usually like fruit, nuts, candies, things like that. But not everybody deserved a gift. And uh, some people really just deserve to be um, thrashed, I suppose. And thus was born the anti-Santa. And the anti-Santa took a lot of forms throughout Europe and throughout time. The first and most famous one dating back to the 1100s is Krampus. Krampus definitely came from somewhere in Germany. We don't know exactly when he started. Um, there's no definitive written history on who came up with Krampus. The word, the name Krampus is from German, but uh, his his story spans across many parts of Europe. And uh, they say that he's a demon and that's why he's wearing chains, that uh, the chains represent that he was bound in hell. And he walks on cloven hooves, he has the big horns, he has the tongue that hangs way out. And uh, there's lots of... Um, fantastic renderings of what Krampus looks like. He is always somewhat frightening, um, although occasionally um, he's cute. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Don't Cuddle the Krampus. It's a children's book, but um, they, yes, they, def <laughs> they definitely make him cute. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I used one of those rep representations for the advertisement tonight, but <laughs> it's the one of, it's the one of him stuffing children into a sack but yeah oh well that's the perfect one really um that is yeah. the legend that either has a sack or a basket on his back um his traditional weapon of choice is birch switches sometimes he has a whip in the more modern showings he can wear a whip he can have bells on the bells are usually more bell snickle but um yeah krampus can definitely also wear bells and uh he is definitely considered to be a Christmas demon, but he did travel uh, allegedly with St. Nicholas, both on the night of the 5th and uh, December 6th. And while St. Nicholas was rewarding the good children, Krampus was punishing the bad ones. If they were really bad, Krampus might eat them or just put them in his sack to take them back to hell where, you know, I guess he felt they belonged. Well, yeah, I mean, we, I, at least, well, I'm, I won't say everybody, but at least I've seen how the Adam Scott movie ends, which is <laughs> the the fact that in the movie like that is creepy as all freaking hell. But yeah, <laughs> which made it. I mean, I actually watched it for a halfway to ho to Halloween uh, horror movie bracket I did on a different show, good six months ago. So I mean, but still, it's just 
Oof. I mean, I love the idea of Krampus since watching that movie, and it's been nothing but fascinating me since then. Oh uh, yeah, well it's 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 a good choice for halfway, halfway to Halloween. And I mean Krampus has gotten a lot of airtime. I mean, he's been on Grimm, he has his own Funko Pop, he's definitely you know, the most famous of the Christmas monsters. And and rightly so. He's he's a good, terrifying creature. And since so many of these Christmas cryptids were really cautionary tales to behave through the long, cold winter, um, I think that he's an incredibly effective uh, <laughs> uh, enforcer in that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I wouldn't say he's the most famous anymore because the the American version of The Office has been watched by a lot of people. and That's true. Every, everybody who watches The Office knows about Dwight's obsession with Belschnickel. So. That's true. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You know, I grew up in um, the Pennsylvania Dutch area, and we knew what Belschnickel was because that was part of our, our tradition in Pennsylvania. So uh, Belschnickel, this is his night as well, December 5th. So um, he actually came over to the United States with um, the Amish and Mennonite families. And he was never quite as terrifying, I don't think, as Krampus. He was kind of like a dirty man, uh, definitely human though. And uh, he usually was wearing rags tight. He had ropes tied around him. He was filthy, dirty guy. Sometimes he had bells. Always he had a whip. And uh, you had to do a task for Belsnickel. You had to recite a poem or do a math problem, basically to show when he arrived that you were doing your schoolwork, that things were going well for you and you were studying and being a good kid. And if you were a good kid, he would take his hand into a sack and throw some nuts and candy on the floor. But you can't be too eager because if you're too eager to go after the snacks, he's going to whip you anyway because, you you know, you can't be too greedy. So um, exactly. Right. But if you're just a bad kid, he's he's going to whip you, like thoroughly whip you for for Christmas. There are some tellings where the Belsnickel even will leave a whip for the parents to continue punishing their children uh, in case, you know, one night's not enough, I guess. Um, hey, Belsnickel, you want to come over here? I could use that. But just <laughs> I kid, kind of. You know, um, mother, another one of my favorite um, stories about Belsnickel is that with his uh, resurgence in popularity, uh, people start Belsnickeling. And it is the practice. It's kind of like wassailing, um, where you dress up as Belsnickel and go around singing. And that has been tracked everywhere from Canada to as far south as Brazil. That is probably thanks to the office that people have started Belsnickeling. I'm not gonna lie. That's the first time I heard of Bell Snickles when I was watching The Office all the way through, like a couple years, like four or five years ago. And like I, as soon as I saw that episode, I it honestly became one of my favorite episodes of The Office. But I bet have you dressed up as the Bell Snickle yourself yet? I don't dress up as anything, I, even on Halloween. <laughs> I I just, I mean, I'm a goddamn juggalo, and I don't paint, I don't paint my face. So I mean, that's saying something. <laughs> but well, it's yeah. not too late. You could still give it a try. Uh, maybe if I need to scare my kids one day, I will. But <laughs> I mean, or I could dress up as Krampus. I mean, I'm sure I could find a nice furry suit for Krampus. But yeah, that would actually, yeah, Krampus is, I think, scarier. So, mm -hmm. but you know, they're they're not the only monsters that would be out tonight. Uh, there would oh, be others. I know. Yeah, there which, would be others. Which um, next, because it's something I've heard of, mm -hmm. and because it. 
it fascinates me because well, let's, let's put it this way my favorite cryptid of all time is dog men so okay you know you know i love me some christmas werewolves <laughs> So they wouldn't necessarily be out tonight. Um, they would travel. Well, the one in Louisiana is going to travel with Pierre Noel, which uh, is a fantastic rendering of Santa that comes out on December twenty comes out on December twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and his werewolf buddy is the Rougarou. The Rougarou is around all year in the bayous of Louisiana, but oh, um, the Rougarou, yes, right. Right. Um, after seven years of French, I have to try to say it in a French accent. But oh, you um, definitely did more than I ever could. But <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, so Pierre, Pierre Noel and his werewolf companion will jump into their flying canoe pulled by magical alligators, and go through the bayou. And Pierre Noel will reward the good children with their presence, and Zarujaru will punish the bad children although they say that that particular werewolf likes to wait in the bayou and swamps year-round to punish the evil so as allegedly he just kind of knows and he seeks out evildoers to uh you know punish them well funny enough you say that because i mean well one riding around with a freaking canoe pulled by alligators is just metal as fucking shit like it's metal like <laughs> If I if I was Kevin Smith, I'd be making like guitar sounds at this point. But but I mean, I've actually had an uh, I've actually had a guest on my show who was in the army with a and one of his uh, troop mates lived in New Orleans and he saw the Rougarou twice when he was a child outside outside. That's his home. amazing. That's incredible. I mean, we just he called he. It's funny because he didn't know what it was and he they were in Egypt on duty and he saw a statue of Anubis and he's like. And he started freaking out. He's like, what's that? What's that? And they're like, that's an ancient Egyptian god. And he's like, I saw that twice when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, I love dogmen for that reason. Because they've been around forever. And people just don't admit it yet. But <laughs> No, they, they definitely, there are stories of them and sightings that um, happen all over the world. So yeah, definitely. That's a thing. You know, there's another legend about werewolves though and Christmas, and I'd love to share it. And it is that anybody born on December 25th is destined to become a werewolf. Apparently it is such an affront to Jesus to be born on his birthday that you would have to be punished. And the punishment is that when you hit puberty, you start to turn into a werewolf. Now they... They say that you could possibly counteract this by uh, taking your child and singeing their nails, like their fingernails and toenails, with fire. But it, it still might not work, and they might become a werewolf anyway. There was even a movie made about this phenomenon. And um, hang on here, I'm going to grab it so I can give you the exact right date. It was 1961. It was called The Curse of the Werewolf. And uh, basically a young woman has a child on Christmas Day and his name is Leon and he becomes a werewolf in the movie because of his birth date. Not because he was bitten, not because of any family curse, not because of any magic garment, but because of his birth date. Yeah, which I mean, and actually that's funny because my wife would say I'm like a werewolf the way I shed my hair. But, but I, I mean, I, and I was born on May 26th. So, I mean, is there some kind of like half year thing that will offend 
Jesus. I am not going to say I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to say Jesus with quotations. But yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you've offended the powers that be and you're part werewolf. Oh, I'm sure I, I offend everybody. So I'm sure I offended a lot of powers to be, but. <laughs> well, you know, there's the other, the other flip side of the birth date uh, thing is the Christmas vampire story from Greece. Do you know the Kelly Cantados? I mean, not personally. Do you know about them? I don't, but please, I am fascinated beyond belief. Tell me. <laughs> so these are actually among my favorites of the Christmas cryptids. So the Kelly Cantaros are the Christmas vampires and goblins that um, come from Greece, Bulgaria, Serbia, Bosnia, that part of the world, sort of the Mediterranean region. And the story is that any child born between December 25th and January 6th is destined to become one of these creatures. Now, the renderings of these creatures, if you go online and look it up, are absolutely amazing. Some people draw them as very small, almost like a, like a dark fae, like something very little. Other people, they are bigger than a house. They are enormous and huge. And they do vampire-like stuff, like they will suck your blood. But, and they only come out after dark and at dawn, they're done, they hide. But the other really fascinating, there's so many fascinating things about them actually. Apparently they love sausages, so they can be distracted if you have enough sausage in your home. Yeah, I, <gasps> I, I, who can make- I'm a vampire? <laughs> I'm a vampire? <laughs> So if, you, if you're worried about the Kelly Cantados showing up at your place, just make sure you're fully stacked with sausage. You can also deter them by burning stinky shoes. So if you have a lot of like nasty, stinky old shoes in your house, just throw them in a fire pit and burn them. They will stay clear of your home all of the nights of Christmas. So Ooh, okay. there are One. ways. There are ways to avoid them. I mean, I... I... <laughs> I mean, I one, I love sausages of food. I do. I really do. I mean, so and I'm German, so that makes sense. But still, <laughs> am I a vampire again? And I'm not going to try to turn these things because I want to be a vampire since I was a kid. So yeah, <laughs> I want, I want to live forever, and I'm 35 almost. That's perfect age. Come on, get, get me, get me. But <laughs> seriously, I'd love to be immortal. But well, actually, I don't know about that anymore because the world's going in a horrible way, and I'm scared of the it future is. at this point. But. It is. But, There's but, a lot of questionable decision making going on. But returning to the holidays and all that, <laughs> let's talk about the good old Wendigo because I don't get to talk about the Wendigo on this show much because nobody really has experiences with the Wendigo that's willing to talk about it because, I mean, you know, I've never personally experienced a Wendigo. Um, I, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you if I had. I would, you know, be past tense, I imagine. But um, the Wendigo is an Algonquin native story from North America and uh, a really dark one at that. So, excuse me, the Wendigo is sort of the personification of winter. Um, it is a monster and a malevolent spirit at the same time. It is incredibly strong. It is incredibly fast. Um, it is um, associated with famine and starvation and cannibalism. So uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people miss about the Wendigo is that um, in the true Algonquin tradition, it is not a monster that attacks at random. 
it is yeah. a monster that comes at a specific time for a specific reason. And it sort of um, invokes insatiable greed and hunger in people, literal hunger. And it creates cannibals out of regular people. So once you've been infected by the Wendigo or you have gone Wendigo, as they say, you are going to basically eat your family or others in your village or town and become a Wendigo yourself, thereby. I mean, Hannibal Lecter made such delicious dishes on Hannibal that I can't like <laughs> disagree with like the fact that it could be amazing. But um, I mean, and it's actually funny because the show you're going to come on the 18th, uh, Global Strangeness, our first episode was on the Wendigo. Oh, that's amazing. Because I forget who picked the topic, if it was me or somebody else, but I think I might have been me because I'm a huge Wendigo nut ever since I can remember. And I mean, the first that's like one of the first episodes of Supernatural, too, because Wendigo is mm -hmm. an amazing creature. But <laughs> but yeah, the Wendigo is, and it's funny because like when I saw that in your list of Christmas monsters, I'm like, the Wendigo is not really a Christmas monster, though, is it? It's wind. It's a winter creature, and yeah. most of the monsters are about winter. I mean, it's not the only one that I could describe as the personification of winter. I mean, the Wendigo is a personification of starving to freaking death and going to your last resort, which is your kids and wife. But yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which but, I mean, I, I don't know how my kids taste, but if I even while starving, I don't think I could do that. Like I'd rather go rob a store than eat them, but this is yeah. the olden times when you didn't have that choice. But exactly, I I think this the story is much older than um than when there were stores, and I I actually love the um I have a description in my notes written by an Ojibwe elder about how it, the Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, and its desiccated skin pulled tauntly over its bones. Its bones pushed against the skin, complexion of ash gray and death. And I thought to myself, I, it's so perfectly said when you think about the Wendigo that, um, you know, the way that that was written, I, I thought, that's it. That's, that's exactly what you want to imagine when you're imagining this particular monster, which is a winter monster. So, yeah, I, I think it belongs with the other winter cryptids for that reason. I mean, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's it's a winter cryptid because, I mean, ever since I, I mean, I forget what it was, whether it was uh, Monsters and Mysteries in America or another paranormal show like that. But every time I hear of Wendigo, I think of like the teeth chattering sound because of that <laughs> show. So, like, it's just, I mean, the Wendigo, but the Wendigo is a, uh, Wendigo is definitely a winter creature because it's always it's always snowy and that's why it's starving is because there's no crops and it yep. needs it needs it needs to eat its family. But well, they say that its heart is made of ice as well. I mean, my wife's the same thing about me, but I don't I don't believe that. <laughs> Are you? But, have you been a Wendigo? <laughs> I've never eaten human flesh. That I'm willing to admit, but <laughs> oh, I do. I am willing to admit it, but not on a podcast. But. <laughs> But um, no, I kid, I kid, I kid. Listeners, please don't stop listening because I admit to that. <laughs> but let's talk about one of my favorite uh, Christmas cryptids, the Yule Cat and the Yule Goat. Oh, yeah, they are among my favorites as well. <laughs> 
So um, the Yule Cat, uh, let's do that first. She, it's actually the pet of an ogress named Gryla in Iceland. And Yule Cat shows up on Christmas Day and peeks in your windows, which is already scary because Yule Cat is like two stories tall probably bigger than many homes. Yule Cat is a ginormous, huge animal and um, walks along peeking in the windows and wants to make sure that you got new clothes. So this is the only cryptid I know of that's sort of fashion forward in that way. And um, if you didn't get new clothes, you're considered not worthy to live. So Yule Cat will first eat your dinner and then eat you. And the whole idea is that um, you <laughs> that you were supposed to get new clothes if you have worked hard and you have been industrious, that you would have earned enough to merit giving at least a pair of socks. So maybe that's where the tradition of a maybe that's where the tradition of a new pair of socks or a bad tie came from at the holidays. Yeah, I mean. I've heard of the Yule Cat before, and that's why I love it, because it's like a cat that's the size of a two-story house. Like, I would not yeah. want to feed that monster, that's for damn sure. But. Right? Well, luckily, the woman who um, it is her pet, Gryla, uh, she collects all the bad children um, on cr Christmas Eve, and they say that she has 40 tails, and they each hold bags of bad children that she takes home to eat and to feed her Yule Cat and her 13 sons. Does she want? Does she want one more? I'm just saying. I mean, <laughs> well, you'll have to wait and see if she shows up. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Have you, Bella? Have you been naughty this year? Do you deserve to go with the Yule Cat? The Yule Cat's <laughs> a cat that's t as big as a two-story house and takes bad children away and never they're never seen again. You've been good. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> you, or so you think, but yeah. Well, the Yule Goat's a little different, and um, the actual origin of Yule Goat is is kind of an unknown thing. Um, Yule Goat um, definitely dates back to pre-Christian times because Odin had goats and Thor had goats. So uh, goats were kind of uh, also Santa Claus's animal of choice before reindeer were inserted into the story. So reindeer didn't even come along until the 1900s. Before that, Santa had a goat. But the Yule goat is a little different. The Yule goat, whoops, the Yule goat uh, would show up at your house. He would wander towns and villages and judge people's holiday decor. And if the Yule goat found that your home was not festive and not up to snuff, he would headbutt your front door until it was thoroughly damaged and you opened it to, uh, you know, uh, pay homage to him in some way. He would expect a tribute of food. Ooh. And yes, I, <laughs> every time I hear Thor's goats, I always think of the fact that they would always reincarnate themselves and that he would yeah. eat them. He would eat them if he's hungry and they would just reappear the next day. Yes, and they had the names Teeth Bearer and Teeth Grinder. So yeah. Yes, I oh, they were you can imagine they were that. super friendly. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were to fly a giant drunk god through space, wouldn't you not be friendly either? I'd yeah, I'd probably be pretty tough. But all right, well. Ooh. All right. Well, 
let's talk about next since well actually we still got a lot of time so let's talk about some ones i never heard of because like, okay Kali Katzalos, which I, well, I probably I did I did just talk about them. Those are the Greek Christmas vampires. Oh, okay. See, I was looking on the list you sent me for those. Uh huh. But uh-huh. I was like, Do you know about I, Do you know about the Marilud? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I don't. No. So this is my favorite Christmas monster. My very favorite one, and um. It'll start first with the the tradition of mumming and wassailing. Are you familiar with what, what those are? Yes, I am, honestly. Okay. So uh, mumming and wassailing are similar traditions, and it is dressing up in a clever disguise, often with a mask, and going door-to-door singing. This might sound a little bit like trick-or-treat because they're going to knock on your door and expect food. So... Probably one of the origins of trick-or-treat along the way. But mumming and wassailing was a lot wilder than our trick-or-treat today. And way wilder than our Christmas caroling today. And uh, what would happen, actually, uh, sword dances even became common in mumming and wassailing. And sometimes people died. So uh, there were times in history that these practices were illegal throughout Europe and Canada and even in the United States because it was just so wild and sometimes people got hurt or killed. But one of the figureheads of the wassail, which was uh, this, the name of this practice in Britain, across Britain, was the Marilud. And that's spelled M-A-R-I-L-W-Y-D. So the, the Marilud is a skeleton horse, and uh, she is the gray mare, basically. That's what the Marilud means. And the gray mare shows up at your house and will challenge you to a battle of rhymes. Which, I mean, when I hear sword dances, I think of Adam's family, but... No, it's not quite like that. Ah, <laughs> oh, too bad. Those were fascinating as hell in the original 90s movies. But Right, right, right. Babushka, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so the Marlude, the skeleton horse, it was kind of like the original rap battle. And when she knocked on your door, you better be ready to throw down in her battle of rhymes. Oh, a good old-fashioned um, rap battle, which they did in... Oh, what the hell are they called? They had them in Assassin's Creed Valhalla because the Vikings used to do them. I forget what the hell they're called. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And it, it's not unlike that, but this was in Wales that this particular practice started. Well, Wales was Vikings, technically. I mean, at some point. So, I mean, the Vikings took over everything in <laughs> Northern Europe. That's for damn indeed. Sure, but... Oh, indeed. But uh, this this was a little later in history. Although um, I don't have a, an origin year on the gray mare, but um, I do think that uh, she's an, a really fascinating character. And if you get online and look look up what she looks like, um, it's a skeleton, uh, or I'm sorry, the skull of a horse, and they would decorate her with ribbons. And then underneath is just a plain white sheet. And the gentleman that would accompany her would be dressed up in like their Sunday finest clothes, singing and uh, dancing. And the story goes that if you lost the Battle of Rhymes, if the Marilud outrhymed you, 
you would have to invite all of them in and feed them and give them alcohol. I mean, I, I expect that when I go to people's houses. I expect them to get invited in, be fed and given alcohol. So that's Especially if you're but... dressed up as a skeleton horse. <laughs> oh, I mean, I could, wear a, I could wear a skeleton horse costume if I get some drinks from it. But... <laughs> But, all right, uh, my co-host on Global Strangers always brings this up, and I kind of know what it is, but I'm dying to know about Grilla and the Yule ads. Okay, so Grilla is the um, keeper of the Yule cat, and ah. uh, she is Icelandic. She's an ogress, and uh, she ate her first two husbands, but she still has the third. I believe that that's how the story goes. And she has 13 kids. They are all the Yule lads. And uh, they are a really fascinating bunch in that um, before Gryla shows up to uh, take all the bad children away on Christmas Eve, the 13 days leading up to that, the 13 days leading up to that, she has one of her sons go into town. And they all have individual, how do you say, traits or characteristics okay. that are yeah. what makes each one of them unique because you're annoying and i'm trying to do a podcast sweetie but <laughs> <laughs> all my listeners know my kid so they'll be used to it. it's all yeah. good so uh let's see the yule lads are window peeper which is always a festive thing, I guess, to have somebody peeking in your windows. Spoon licker, door slammer, sausage swiper, skirt blower, bowl licker, meat hooker, skyer gobbler, door sniffer, candle beggar, stubby, gollygawk, and sheep clod. And I mean, those names. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, those names, but I would hate to be the sausage swiper. I'm just saying. (laughs) Well, you'd have to compete with the Christmas vampires for the sausage, right? So as as dirty as that sounds, and I'm seeing so many movie possibilities in my head, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's a lot of lads and 13 kids. God, I got two and I'm ready to kill them. So yeah, 13, that's crazy. <laughs> well, maybe that's why she has a Yule cat to keep them in line. Well, I mean, I have two Mastiffs, but they all they do is scare the crap out of the kids and not keep them in line. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I could name the one Yule Mastiff. <laughs> you could. You could. <laughs> but, oof. Now, are the Yule lads anything like the Hidden People, or is that a different story completely? The Hidden People are a different story. Um, when you're talking in Hidden People, you're talking kind of just like the Fae in general. And oh, when okay. I say Fae, I don't mean like cute, happy fairies. To be totally honest. Um, oh, we we we've talked we've talked about them on this show before, and the everybody dark knows fae? the fa- the Fae slash elementals are not always friendly. That's correct, especially on Christmas, apparently. And um, the story is that uh, the Fae will uh, come along around Christmas time, and you must never look at them. You must always look away, 
There's also a tradition in Iceland of getting books on Christmas Eve and chocolate. And the idea is that you stay awake through the night reading. And if the Fae were to come into your home, your feet must be up off the ground and you should not look away from your book. You must keep reading and let them take your chocolate if they want it. Okay, well, as a kid who loved reading and chocolate, that'd be damn hard to even have the chocolate <laughs> sitting there still. But I will say, I don't know, maybe maybe it was new Harry Potter. I might be willing to give that up chocolate then. But, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the traditions of around the Fae, um, in Iceland especially, there's a lot of uh, dark legends and... Scary stories. Uh, I mean, like you don't want to meet one at a crossroad, for example, ever, but especially on Christmas Eve, because they're going to challenge you to a riddle that if you don't get it right, they they can take your soul. Ooh. Yeah. So like I said, super dark stories around Faye and the hidden people at Christmas time. But who is Queen Hild? Oh, Queen Hild. This is a sort of like a, a children's story or a legend. She, hmm, do I give it away? Let me just tell it. So the story goes that there is a young woman who is a servant on a farm and she uh, is, her name is Hild. She's a lovely woman and the family loves her, except every year on Christmas Eve, when they go to church, they come back in the morning. I guess it's a very long service. And um, the farmhand is always dead. And Hild never knows what happened to him. But here's what really happens. After the family leaves to go to church, Hild will go outside and put a witch's bridle on the farmhand, always a man. And a witch's bridle will turn a man into a horse so she can ride him into the mountains and into the fey land. So was this thing I want to say on that one? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, witches' bridles are a historic thing. You can find them in museums, and allegedly they had all kinds of power. Very, a very fascinating artifact. But that said, she would then disappear into a crag in the mountains, and this particular farmhand had a secret. He had already been enchanted by an elf once before. So he was able to remove the witch's bridle and follow her and in his human form into the crag in the mountains, only to find out that she was in fact a queen in, among the fae. But unfortunately for her, she was cursed. So the curse yielded that she could only see her family one night a year, and that was Christmas Eve. And the sacrifice she had to make each year was one human life just to get to see her husband and children. And uh, as he was observing, he kind of figured out that indeed she was a magical being and the whole place was full of fairy gold. So, of course, he takes some and then he decides to go back and put the witch's bridle back on and wait for her. So he does that and she returns right before daybreak, rides him back, takes the bridle and expects him to die. She leaves and goes in and makes what they called uh, snowflake bread, which is a lucky tradition at Christmas time in Iceland. Snowflake bread. <laughs> so when the family comes down and the farmhand walks in and he's alive, they're A, shocked that their farmhand survived the night with Hild, and B, 
he spills the beans about the fact that she's a fae and that she has a witch's bridal and everything that happened. Now, remember, historically, witches were a terrifying thing. And uh, she expects that they're not going to take it well. So she denies everything initially. And then he pulls out the fairy's gold. And she eventually just comes clean, explains that she's a queen in the Feyland, but was cursed because when she married the king, she was not of royal blood. But because he lived the night, her curse is broken. And the happy Christmas story goes that um, she's able to return home and she then sends magical beings to make sure that both the farmhand and the family that took her in and never accused her of witchcraft, even though she had a witch's bridal, um, live a long, happy and very prosperous life. And that is where the Snowflake Bread story comes from. It's Queen Hild's specialty. And all throughout Iceland and other parts of that piece of Europe, people make snowflake bread for Christmas morning. And snowflake bread is just bread with frosting on it? Or? No, it's actually really beautiful. It's, um, it's a sweet bread that's cut by hand into intricate shapes to look like snowflakes. Huh, that's... It seems it's like a, a lot of freaking work. That yeah, seems like a, a lot project. of work. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a project. Um, only, yeah, I guess you have to be a magical uh, fairy to make it. <laughs> I don't know. I can see Bobby, I can see Bobby Flay pulling it off, but probably, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure he has a whole staff of people at Food Network too. Well, I think we have time for one more Christmas critter before we have to say end of episode. But all right. Try would, you, would you like uh, something funny or something scary? Let's end it with something scary because we've had a few funny ones in a row now. So, Okay. So I think that Frau Perchta is one of the scariest stories. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew yeah. that. <laughs> she comes from the Alpine region and she can appear as a beautiful goddess with like flowing silky blonde white hair or as a terrifying old hag. And uh, she's always carrying a long knife hidden in her dresses. So uh, the long knife is um, kind of her signature. And she doesn't necessarily go after Kit. She can. But she, her focus is always the lady of the house. She shows up um, between the 25th and January 6th. And she wants to make sure the house is in order. Uh, traditionally, she wants to make sure the weaving is done because the lady of the house would have always done all the spinning of uh, cloth and thread from flax or wool. But over time, the story became she wanted to make sure the house was clean and the cooking was done. So she's kind of like a Martha Stewart, uh, but much I, I need her to come here. I need her. I need her to come here. Just saying. <laughs> Well, the bad news is that if she shows up and the house is not clean, she takes that big long knife out from under her skirts and disembowels the lady of the house and stuffs her with stones and straw. Sorry, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Nothing, nothing. But and um, the, other, the other thing is that she is the guardian of beasts. So if you want to leave an offering out to try to dissuade her from killing you, you must always leave rice porridge. That is her 
item of choice to eat. And if you leave anything that is um, an animal product, she will disembowel you and stuff you with stones and straw. She also has a whole herd of children called the Perchton. And if you look up Perchton, you will see they look exactly like Krampuses. The only way you would know the difference is that they come on a different night. Uh, Krampus comes December 5th and 6th, and the Perchton come later between December 25th and January 6th. Now they are going to go after the bad kids, and they're going to disembowel them and stuff them with stones and straw once again. So, I mean, there's not just a couple of them. There's like an army of them. It's like, um, imagine dozens of Krampuses showing up at your door to punish your bad child. Oh, Bella, you want to see dozens of Krampuses come tomorrow? Really, <laughs> Dad? Furry little creatures that will disembowel you and put stones and hay in your body. <laughs> yeah, hay, like horses eat. <laughs> That just added an element to the show. I so am happy I got in. <laughs> but oh, I mean, that's I mean, I've heard of Frau Perchta, but I don't think I've yeah. ever heard of all that. Like that's just I well, love she's, it. I love she's it. still a celebrated character. They have uh, festivals uh, throughout the Alpine region to still celebrate her. People dress up as both her and her Perchton army. So it's still a known um Christmas monster. And again, I to me, she's kind of the personification of winter. She wants you to be prepared to get through the cold time. So it's sort of um, just like the with the others. It's like a lesson to be ready for winter. It's. I mean, to me, it sounds like the perfect German mother-in-law. Just saying, but <laughs> but I mean, to me, that's what it sounds like. Like she wants your house to be prepared, so you're good for the holidays, and you're ready to bake and cook everything for Christmas. But exactly. I mean, someone's got to bake cookies for Santa, and she's making sure of that. But well, you know, there's always the Italian Christmas witch. You actually leave wine for her, not cookies. Oh, I think you're talking about my mother, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to thank you, Risa, for coming on. It's been an amazing episode. I've had a lot of fun doing this episode, and I honestly, for all my listeners who want to hear more, we didn't cover all the monsters today. But no, not at all. Well, We'll get to the rest on um, Global Strangeness, which will be live on the 18th on Facebook, BeatShoot, and everywhere else it's streamed by the person who runs it, not me. But <laughs> I just participate. But And we are, look, we are looking forward to having Marissa on because I've teased her coming on with my co-host and if I can get her. And they were all dying to have her on as well. So Because wait till you meet Scott. He's a huge fan of Krampus and all this stuff. So Excellent. He will, you, the two of you will be peas in a pod in that show. I guarantee it. But, <laughs> but please tell tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find, ain't, pr promote yourself to the fullest. Okay. Now's thanks, Jeremy. So uh, you can find me at teaandsmoke.com, which is my website. And I am a tea leaf reader and smoke scryer, which are both forms of divination. So yes, basically it's like talking to spirits. And I would love to give all of your listeners an offer to get 20% off a reading if they want. And Jeremy, I'll send you that link so that you can share it. Well, they will. And ooh, divination. Hermione Granger would not approve, but she definitely would not approve. But, you know, I have to tell you, I've been a tea leaf reader for many, many years, and I've never seen the grim in a cup. Not yet, anyway. 
Well, you are no Professor Trelawney then, but <laughs> which has its which has its own upsides too. <laughs> yes, but all my listeners know you can find me at Paranormal the New Normal slash Maniacal Music Musings podcast for the S Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter and the gram as that Juggalo Bastard. You can find me on TikTok as Juggalo Bastard Podcast. And you can find me on YouTube as Paranormal New Normal. And I want to thank Rissa once again for coming on. It's been such a fun episode. Like I I just did two episodes in a row. And this the second one was so much fun. Like it just was so much. <laughs> the first one, the first the first one was fun too, but I the the this one was so fun and I love all the Christmas monsters that come out and take care of bad kids who don't behave, but and listen to their wise older fathers. But I would can't wait to hear to have you on Global Strangeness, and I will reach out to you with details about that in the future. And for all my listeners, please check out Global Strangeness. It's a discussion podcast I'm on for paranormal that's so much fun and always informative. We we learn stuff every episode that we never knew about. So I look forward please, to it. Please come check it out. And thank you for listening. I will see you in half a week or less. I'm not sure when this episode's coming out just yet. <laughs> but whenever the first night of Christmas is. So, yeah. Which I'm pretty sure is December 17th, I want to say. Am I wrong? It depends on which calendar you're using. But it could be. Or it could be the 24th. True. All right. Well, I'll have to <laughs> Google some of that. But... Catch my listeners next time.